Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, how much collective time do you think you spent curating the perfect playlist over your entire lifetime? Let's just say I haven't heard a repeat song in quite a long time. Today's show, we're talking about Pandora, a music streaming service that was born out of the 2000s. Yeah, this is definitely a throwback. And Jeff and I wanted to do a music streaming episode, and we thought that we would do the OG. And Pandora just felt like the the right one to go to. We had talked a lot about the Napsters and the Kazaz earlier in an episode Mm -hmm. with the iPod. And I think Pandora was really what broke us from that iPod. But as Jeff said, Pandora is a music streaming service originally launched as an internet radio service. So it would generate these personalized channels based on the songs that you liked and the songs that you kept listening to. And it was really that, you know, perfect quote unquote machine learning model where it's mass customization just for you. So today, if you look at Pandora's business model, they currently have three tiers. So they have their base free tier and that's supported by banner ads, video ads, audio ads. And so you can listen to the radio for free. If you upgrade for $5 a month, they have a you know Pandora Plus, and that gets you ad-free radio stations and also the ability to listen offline on your phone, which is like a very weird feature now that I think about it, now that it's so ubiquitous to have 4G and everywhere in the US. But I remember like seven years ago where not having offline listening was a really big feature. Yeah. You know, it's because like if you lost service, like... RIP, like, what are you going to do with your, uh, your, your internet streaming? You can't listen to music. So yeah. that's, that's really interesting now that I'm talking this one out loud. Yeah, I think there are still places where like internet isn't that great. Not to say that it's impossible, but I've noticed that by changing different carriers sometimes, like, um, not that I'm in a remote area, but sometimes I'll get areas where like the internet's not that great for one provider versus the other. And I'm not quite sure why maybe cell towers are too split apart or too many people in one area. And then obviously, like still in airplanes, like I know with COVID, yep. we haven't traveled in a long time, but What's with airplanes, airplane? it's <laughs> you get no internet unless you're paying that $8 premium or whatever. Um, I, this is an interesting one. I really like that we picked Pandora because I remember there was a time when I was still downloading music onto my phone. I want to say I started using Pandora either late in high school or early in college. I'm not quite sure when I started, but I remember thinking, man, I really want to find this song and I can't find it for download. I don't want to pay for it. Maybe I can find it via Pandora. So like you would type in a Pandora song and they would give you songs that were like the song that you typed in. And so sometimes you would hope that you would like skip away from that song to the song that you wanted. So like maybe maybe there's one song you like on an album. You might put a different song on the album in the search and then you might play that song and then you might hope to get to the song that you liked. It was really weird. Totally. Um, but the reason why the dice, it, was, it was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you never knew what it recommended next. It was like kind of having a DJ pick songs based on what you liked and disliked. And I remember you got like a certain amount of skips per hour or something on the free model. Um, yep. like you were able to just, if you like, Oh, I don't like this song. You could skip it. And it would know to not play songs like that. The whole idea behind it was it was trying to catalog the song archetypes, right? Like maybe you like Mm -hmm. songs that are upbeat or maybe you like songs in this genre or maybe you like this artist or maybe whatever. It was like kind of early machine learning, I would say. For sure. It was kind of like that, uh, like what YouTube is now to video. They were trying to do that where it's just like endless streaming. It's like, hey, let's find something that gets you hooked and we'll just keep going. It's interesting with Pandora that it offered this kind of personalized DJ because, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, like I can't tell you how many hours I spent 
making playlists, Mm -hmm. you know, with the music that I would download or the CDs that I would rip onto my hard drive. In high school, like if you had a crush, you'd come up with like a, you know, (laughs) like a mixtape and then like give it to them. Say, oh, these are all the songs that I thought. Um, looking back, it's probably all this cringe, like dashboard confessional, like yeah. stuff that that I had. Yep. But like, you My spent a ton of time. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I think the playlist feature is just like super, super key. And just if you didn't have to put that effort in and it knew what you liked, it was a huge feature and a ton of value there. And just like with just closing out the business model for for Pandora, the last service that they offer is premium at $10 a month. So you get all the features of offline listening, plus the ability to, to make and share playlists. So if you want to see what I've been working on and slaving over my playlist, uh, which I promise isn't that cringe, my chemical romance <laughs> dashboard playlist, I could share it with you if I wanted to, Jeff. It's, it's interesting, right? Like I feel like Pandora... At the time that it came out, I felt like when you you heard a new song, if you're trying to find it or listen to it again, it was kind of hard. Like I I felt like I would look at Pandora and search in Pandora. I would look at YouTube because early YouTube didn't have a lot of music, right? It would Mm -hmm. be like rips, like people would maybe record it. And if it was like a not well-known artist, like tough luck, right? Like you wouldn't. And then maybe you'd go to like SoundCloud or so there was like multiple places to kind of like string together, like where you listen to music. And now like, thank God for companies like Spotify, where they support even really small artists. And even obviously we're on Spotify. So even small podcast operations, you know, people can get onto Spotify pretty easily and you can access them directly and it's a lot easier to find. So like, I feel like early days of Pandora, what it was great for was like some recommendations for what I might listen to. Like there were some good songs, there were some bad songs, but it allowed me to just kind of explore and it allowed me to do it in a way that was like on demand. Whereas like radio, if you don't like a song, tough luck, you change the channel or you just wait. So <laughs> you, you call into the radio station, like, please, sir, like, change the song. I <laughs> exactly sick of hearing this song for the 18th time or whatever it is. What a, what a throwback though. Like I remember in like sixth or seventh grade, I really wanted to hear a song on like the local radio station. And I literally called in. I'm like, hey, uh, can you play like, I don't even remember what song mm-hmm. it was. And then you would just sit by the radio for like three hours waiting for the DJ, you know, to end his shift and just like answer your request to play that one song. Um, It's so wild. Like I'm having these flashbacks, like very vivid flashbacks of thinking about that. And now it's just at your fingertips. Like I can go to YouTube or go wherever to to listen to what I want, what I want. It's it's wild. Yeah. And then like, do you remember when Vivo was really popular as well? Like there was all the music videos were on Vivo. So like for mainstream songs, I think it was again, like pretty easy to find the music video or whatever. But then like, again, if you have like a very indie artist that you're trying to listen to, like it's really tough to find their music, especially early in the 2000s, like trying to figure out where their music lived was like nigh impossible for for a lot of people. Totally. Um, And yeah, it was just really tough. But I just wanted to kind of like point towards that era because there was a lot that they did well, including music recommendation. And then also the idea of streaming. Like I think they were knocking on the door of something really, really great. Um, And then obviously Spotify came in and kind of took over. Um, and, but I think that they, they had like a lot of the early ideas, early inception of what became like expected features of a lot of other streaming services. For sure. Um, let's talk about how it came to be. So it was actually founded in 2000, which is like really, really early for a music streaming platform. Remember 2000s was like a year before the iPod came out. So like people weren't even putting music physically on their device, um, to carry around with them, let alone like streaming it. But originally it was founded by this company called Savage Beat Technologies. Um, and the idea was... Love that name, by the way. <laughs> you know, SBT. Um, it was initially for the purpose of what was called the Music Genome Project. 
which is basically a way to recommend music. The thought was that you can classify music by various traits and attributes. Like I mentioned before, maybe it's like upbeat, uh, maybe it's a different genre, maybe it's by artist, uh, maybe it's even by album type, whatever. There's a whole bunch of different meta tags and even you know micro tags, if you will, to uh, a particular song. I love that. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, like we talked about in the iPod episode of like, you know, making your own library after you've downloaded all this music, there's all this metadata yep. and meta tags that you can add, like even like beats per minute was one of the tags. Yeah. So it's really interesting that, you know, this Savage Beat Technologies group <laughs> had the, uh, you know, the foresight to start stringing that together and like, hey, are there patterns that we can start to surface things like, hey, if like we know it's rock, if it's tagged rock with like, you know, 40 beats per minute, it's going to be this like, you know, really angsty playlist versus like an 80 beats per minute, whatever, like whatever, like the algorithm says, it's it's actually kind of brilliant. And I can see how all of like the, the tides pointed them in, in that direction. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned rock. So there is um one of my best friends, his name is Daniel Clute. He's a musician out of Austin, Texas. He actually did the intro music to our podcast. He was on another podcast recently talking about um, describing different rock bands as different types of rock. So it could be metal, it could be alternative, it could be whatever. Uh, and they're trying to classify them. So it's actually, in some ways, it's like really hard because people have different, yeah. like they have different ideas of what metal is, what alternative is or whatever. So like by using, you know, kind of like a crowdsourced way to define music, you might get like a pretty good direction of something, but it still might not be perfect for everybody. So um, totally. Yeah. Well, this is the stuff that there's like entire like um like PhDs that would like debate, you know, like how would like if you look at just like classical music, for example, and like people that would study like, mm -hmm. you know, music history, it's like yeah, what defines kind of yeah. exactly. Yeah, what defines like XY genre or yeah. XY like composer and it's there's a ton of gray area. So it's interesting that um we start to apply like machine learning to it. Now people just say everything's indie or genre blending. So it's just easier. <laughs> it's just like the, <laughs> sure. the, the catch all bucket. Um, the idea for this music genome project was actually scrapped after the dot-com bubble bursted. Uh, and the company was licensed to AOL Music and Best Buy for some other side projects. It's kind of like they were kind of genoming some other music for other people. It's funny to say the word AOL Music because it's like <laughs> AOL is like, for those of you that don't know, was an internet service provider. Da -dum, da -dum, it, was, dum <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it was basically like an internet provider of the early internet days that most of us uh, millennials probably know of and are, is, they're also famous for AIM which is one of the first instant messengers basically they're like a dead company but uh, anyway <laughs> so um, you know things were looking pretty grim they had actually run through their initial two million dollar funding uh, by 2001 um, and they had even convinced some employees to work for an additional two years without pay and obviously wow. as you can imagine that prompted some lawsuits and wow that's wild eventually that you know caused some layoffs for some people I, I think the dot-com bubble burst was pretty rough i mean like it's mm -hmm. my guess is that it wasn't that they wanted to work without pay it was that like where else could you go like everywhere in silicon valley was kind of the same could you mention that now it's like oh i'm just a software engineer like where else am i gonna work yeah, you know, yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah well i mean people say there might be another burst but who knows um yeah and in 2004 after some success with the best buy project which was actually they were doing some music genome projects in Best Buy kiosk. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but there was actually a, a kiosk in Best Buy specifically from Pandora. Um, they landed another $8 million round of funding uh, and they actually decided to shift their focus to the consumer space and try to apply this idea of a music recommendation platform towards consumers. So listeners like you and I. Um, and they hired somebody, this guy named Joe Kennedy uh, to come in as CEO. And you'll never guess where Joe Kennedy came from. He came from the automaker Saturn. So like- huh. 
which is strange. Like Saturn already isn't like a very well-known automaker company here in the U.S. And no. it makes you wonder why they would hire Joe Kennedy, like, <laughs> you know, for like totally. a completely different tech service. Like it seems like a very strange hire to me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And this is like um, me putting like my brand marketing hat on for a second mm-hmm. is like with General Motors, like they were able to launch products, essentially, essentially lost the same product with different brands um, targeted towards different segments. Yeah. So the Saturn brand specifically was meant to go after like the um, the quote unquote like Asian auto manufacturers like the Toyotas mm-hmm. and the um, the Hondas and the Mazas and all of that. And then you had the the Pontiacs, which is like uh, like another like brand that was like targeted for a specific subset of customers. And then um, like Chevy, which is like the traditional like you know uh, story. But it's super interesting where like they would bring someone in. With Saturn, because like Saturn is like is now a defunct brand of General Motors, um, but it was targeted for that you know low cost like masses. So maybe that was what they were trying to go to is like, hey, if this guy can you know sell a bunch of cars that are essentially like the same Chevy product to the masses, maybe he could also do this for music. Yeah, it's just like it just seems like a stretch to me. Like like I oh, for I, sure. I can't make the connection. Like if it, this was somebody from the music industry, like maybe they had worked at a record label. Or like maybe they had sold some other consumer goods or services, or maybe they'd come from Napster. Like I would have bought in, but like just maybe someone thought it was Saturn Records. Maybe, maybe yeah, just, I don't know. Maybe it was just like an error. Yeah, it's they're like, like, oh crap, we hired the wrong guy. <laughs> um, so in 2005, they actually did shift focus to consumer facing, and they launched um, an internet radio product, which is the one that me and Mike probably uh, first used um, around you know streaming music and being able to get music recommendations and skipping songs. And as you know, the earlier days of like internet radio products was like basically just Sirius XM, right? Like I think mm-hmm. um, iHeartRadio wasn't around, like all these other radio products weren't around. And I remember, and it's still this way, Sirius XM, like in your car, you can get traditional radio with like, you know, you actually have to change the station or you can pay for the premium of Sirius XM radio, which like subscription services were like way, like in, oh, in way the, out of the time, way out of the time yeah. in 2005. Like nobody wanted to pay for subscription services. So um, people say Adobe made the big splash, and I've, but you know, other people are doing it before. I would say Autodesk was a leader in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we actually followed Adobe. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they, uh, they initially offered 10 hours of free music, but people abused it quote unquote by making new emails. Um, says I who would, who said, would ever do that? Says Jeff. Joe Kennedy. I don't know. Maybe a couple of college kids that were looking for extra Dropbox space. Um, that's check out that episode. If you want to hear uh, our first uh, pilot episode of product explained, but that caused Pandora to shift to an ad-supported model instead to make money. And so they would actually uh, play ads. I remember you, you had like a couple ad skips per hour or something like that. And then eventually they would even target their users by songs, like whatever songs you pick. So I guess if you were listening to like metal, like maybe they would target, I don't know, like a guitar company. To you. I don't know what they would target, but it's this early idea of um, ad targeting that obviously now companies like Facebook and Google have really honed in on. Uh, but yeah. like this idea of like ad supported um, models that were targeting around your music listening preferences is like really, really interesting to me. And it's interesting that because they did it in 2005, which is like super, super early. No, for sure. And it's super crazy because uh, if you remember the movie Minority Report, which is based off the Phil K. Dick book, Minority Report came out in 2002. And one of the big 
uh, not big things, but one of the, the predictions that they had was targeted ads where basically they get, uh, a camera would scan your eyeball and like as you're in the mall, like you see this um, custom ad just for you. And like that was like mind blowing, you know, back in 2002. Mm-hmm. But that's so normal now. It's like yeah. everywhere that you are on the web, anywhere that you have presence, um, you're getting customized ads. So it, it's it's crazy that they um, that Pandora was doing it just by like the songs, but uh, it's definitely an idea that has you know just driven massive amounts of revenue and business and strategic decisions over the past you know 20 years of just how can we get better targeted ads to our customers. Yeah, totally. I, I just had to mention it because. While Pandora today doesn't seem like a really large behemoth of music streaming, they actually had done some really interesting foundational work that kind of uh, was taken over by other companies and and kind of did the same thing. Um, They obviously went through some years of growth um, after their initial product and they IPO'd in 2011. So it's actually quite some time later, about 11 years after they had initially started the Music Genome Project. And they have obviously been expanding their service ever since. In 2019, um, they were actually acquired finally by SiriusXM. So they're now a subsidiary of uh, of SiriusXM as they kind of expand their uh, internet radio business. Huh, interesting. I, I did not know that they were acquired, uh, but I guess, I guess it makes sense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about who Pandora is for. Um, I think that <laughs> this is one of the products where, you know, back in the day, it was definitely like the way that I think of it is like, you know, I'm an early adopter and like one of the first people, but music streaming is just so ubiquitous now and it's mm-hmm. still growing massive. Uh, it's definitely one of those products that has reached mass market, you know, penetration. Um, I guarantee that anyone on the show that's listening uh, knows someone that uses or listens to some form of streaming media, if not subscribes to one um, every single day. Um, so my, my thinking for how to, how to approach looking at this entire market was just to look at the worldwide recorded revenue. So in 2019, across the entire globe, uh, the world spent $21.5 billion on recorded music. Um, Of that, 56%, more than half of it was streaming music. And I find this really interesting. So I dug a little bit deeper into the numbers and the revenue in 2001 for the worldwide recorded music was roughly the same. So, you huh. know, right when Pandora was starting, it was about the same. And I remember like growing up in the 2000s, like, like I would sit down with like my mom and like siblings and uh, watch like the five or six o'clock evening news. And I remember all these like snippets saying like, oh, streaming music is like basically the devil, you know, it's going to ruin kill. CDs yeah. and kill. Yeah, exactly. Kill the music industry. And it really did for a while. Like, it, like if you look at the revenue from like 2010, I think it was like only like, you know, 13 billion. So it was like a $7 billion fall. And it, it, it's taken 20 years for it to recover just back to the, the normal um, revenue that it was at. Um, I still think there's a ton of like upward growth here, especially as more people have access to mobile phones and like the internet service is getting better. Um, it's just really interesting. And it, it begs the question of if I'm a music industry executive in 2000, maybe instead of fighting this, you you know, hop on the ship, you know, it might be really painful change at first, but I think it's like a a really like lesson to, to, to to take to heart of like, Hey, like something that is, you know, eating your business or that you're afraid of, like maybe you need to embrace it uh, instead of just like totally just saying it's not for us. I think it's really hard in 2000 though, because only because a couple things like one, 2001, I've talked about this before, 9-11 happened, Mm .com burst happened. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of going on. And uh, and if you think about the iPod, which was a previous episode that we covered, the iPod released in, you know, what was it, late 2001 or early 2002? I can't remember. But they released not that long after, which means that, like, most companies were barely ready for digital 
uh, let alone streaming. So like they were still in this idea of like owning music and, right. um, you know, and digital sales of albums. So like, I think there's like, it seems like there would be jumping two two stones there to get to directly to streaming. And like, they probably weren't prepared or ready for it. Like, how do we monetize it? Um, how do we even monetize digital? What happens if digital shared? How do you distribute music? Like, you know, do we still consider distributing physical media? Like, how how what is our relationship with radios like now that we have streams? Like, are radios going to die? Like, I think there's just a, a ton of open questions. And so I totally get why um, why some of these, you know, maybe music companies or industries didn't immediately jump ship to streaming. Uh, but it is surprising that it took 20 years. Like, I would ex- have expected totally. it to take, like, a lot faster to... That's what up. I thought too. Yeah. Like when I was looking for that stat, I was like, oh yeah, like I guarantee like this is like, Double. you know, like yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and it makes me wonder like, where did all that value go? Like that like monetary yeah. value of like $10 billion a year for 10 years didn't just disappear. And so maybe that was, maybe that was Apple, you know, maybe that was Apple just consuming that with like the iPod and with the iPhone, um, just consuming that from a hardware perspective um, and maybe other companies. I'm really curious to, um, you know, for all of my uh, other economic nerds out there, like, uh, or economist nerds out there, I'd love to like see if that, if anyone has any analysis yeah. on that, but it, super interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it was that like maybe music deals were like ludicrous in the 2000s, not the Luda. rapper, <laughs> but, uh, maybe they were just insane. And, uh, what happens as you shift towards streaming is yeah, like maybe, the per play or the per album purchases or songs, or whatever, like it's a different model, right? So you're now looking at streams, like number of streams, uh, and that's how you earn your revenue or, you know, whatever your royalties are, or whatever. So like, so the per streams are going to be way, way less. And just by adoption, it's also going to be way, way less than the initial, you know, as people are starting to jump on. But now that it, like you're saying, it's becoming ubiquitous and everybody's starting to stream. My guess is that, you know, even though the per streams are pretty low, like, the overall volumes now increasing to the point where it's finally mm-hmm. matching up, right? So it's probably like a, a balancing act. But yeah, still, I think 20 years is pretty pretty crazy. But I will say like, I feel like streaming has really kind of hit its peak or hit its stride in maybe the last five years. Like totally. before then- It was rough. Like 2014, was like- I would say even up to 2013, I was still in the mindset of like, I should probably own my music, you know? And like yeah. streaming is a luxury. Like I'm at, when I'm in college, I'm like, ah, it's- I don't want to pay 14 bucks a month to stream music when I can just like listen to it on YouTube, you know, or like make a playlist on YouTube for free. So like, I think for that's sure. where I think a lot of people are now shifting their mindset with, you know, Spotify, Pandora and all these other companies like um, putting together like family plans and people and it's becoming more affordable. Like I think now people are considering streaming a lot more as like your regular everyday option. I think there's all these like, this just has me thinking of like all these microcosms that are happening in tech. So like, if you look at like, um, like blogs, like early in the day, uh, like, you know, they were it was super hard to curate a following, but then eventually Twitter happened, mm-hmm. you know, where like people could just like have stream of conscious. Um, and like now like we have like this podcast and, uh, one of the, this is February of 2021 and, uh, clubhouse, uh, which is essentially just an app where people, uh, talk and like have yeah. conversations. It's kind of doing the same where it's just like changing the distribution, of how you're consuming and even just performing media. Um, so I think it's interesting with it, within tech, there's all these like little microcosms. And like, even if you look at like YouTube, um, like TikTok is kind of that, you know, it's like social media, it's just like endless like streaming, um, but it's just, it, it's just been distributed. And I wonder what like the next thing like that from like the, you know, blogging to 
tweets to, you know, CDs to music streaming um, is in the future. But I think these are going to be nice frameworks to, to think of as we're launching products in the future. Yeah, not to go on a, too much of a tangent um, before we jump back into Pandora, but I want to touch on that because I think for me, it's an access change. Um, so like blogging is like unidirectional, right? Like I'm writing, mm-hmm. somebody reads. Um, Twitter becomes like direct access. So people can DM you, like they can reach out to you immediately. Like imagine if you had the phone number of like Brad Pitt, like that's what Twitter feels like, you know? I mean, (laughs) it is for like, you think about Elon Musk, like you can tweet at him um, and he could respond back. Not to say that he will, but like, it's this idea of that, like, hey, I have a direct line to so-and-so. Totally. Like I've tweeted at Stuart Butterfield, who is the CEO of Slack and he's responded back to me. And that's just like really crazy to think about. Like I'm, tweeting at this like you know multi-billion dollar ceo and he's like responding to me on something that was like about board games <laughs> so yeah it's like stuff like that like that's really really cool and um you don't always get that level of access you know prior to something like twitter and then clubhouse is kind of the same way so clubhouse the reason why i personally think it's interesting is because right now it's kind of this like one it's really hard to get into it's like early days of facebook and two it's like it's Twitter on crack. You can come into a clubhouse and ask people, you can talk to them directly. It's not like you have a direct line to Elon Musk's house and you're sending him snail mail now. It's that you have his number and you're talking, you're talking in his ear. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. So like that's the difference. And and that's why clubhouse can be really powerful. Now the question is, will these celebrities stay on clubhouse all the time? Will they continue to answer questions and spend time or whatever? Um, will it kind of wear off because of the privacy of it all? Or I guess like the invite only nature of Clubhouse, like who knows? But I think that's where right now it's kind of interesting is that you get direct access to somebody and you can address them as they're like anybody else, like like they're your neighbor, which is insane. Yeah, And I think with all of these like services is like something that we've seen throughout like tech is how do you monetize it successfully? Like we kind of touched on that with Pandora with like, hey, like let's surface an ad to someone. And I think, you know, apps like Clubhouse are going to be in the same boat as like, how do you surface an ad to someone on Clubhouse? You know, is it like really disruptive where you have to like, like see a banner ad first? Or is it going to be like um, more like a YouTube where it's like, hey, it's sponsored content. Like, hey, uh, you know, shout out to this like yeah. blah, 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 tea. It's like really cool. So I think that'll be interesting. And I think a, a smart way to um, make predictions is to kind of follow the money <laughs> and, yeah. and, see, and see how that shakes out. Uh, but yeah, definitely a bit of a tangent, but I think it's like goes to the fundamentals of, of tech and like Pandora is like one of these like perfect like case studies to try to tease out one of those frameworks of like, hey, like how are we disrupting and then how are we going to monetize it? Which leads to like the uh, customer base of Pandora. So, um, you know, as Jeff and I mentioned, like early on, we were both users of Pandora. I have very fond memories of like being in my like student um, uh, student government uh, office and like we were all listening to Pandora and like fighting over like what the next station was going to be. Uh, but Pandora has definitely grown a ton since then. So as of 2019, they had uh, 63 and a half million active users um, just using anywhere, any of their three tier services. Um and they have uh, 6.2 million subscribers in 2019. So definitely, um, definitely a sizable um, like revenue stream that they're they're able to generate. So it's uh, you know this is on top of all the other music <laughs> competitors that Jeff will get to. So I think it's definitely a respectable user base that they have. Yeah. So as Mike mentioned, um, there's clearly a lot of uh, other players in the space, such as Spotify, who I think is probably one of the largest streaming services now. Um, we have Tidal, which is owned, I believe, by uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z, or if not partially owned. 
Um, That's Mr. Jay-Z to you. Yeah, Mr. Jay-Z or Hove for a lot of OG listeners. <laughs> um, you know, Apple Music and Google Music. So, you know, streaming platforms as a whole are pretty popular. I think that um, in terms of like what differentiates most of the streaming platforms, it seems to me that like it's kind of whatever is convenient. Like I personally use Spotify, but I know people that use Google Music because they're already in like a Google family account or they're already using Android or it plays well with their what you know plays well with their devices or whatever but most people that's I me know, yeah you're a google music and guy I, yeah and they actually just switched it they rebranded it within the past like two months to youtube music mm. and they did a ui uh redesign i hate it i think it's just i miss like all the old features <laughs> and like they're trying to like they tried to reduce the ui and like like i don't know my whole like point of view on like google products versus like anyone else is like customize customization you know like i'm one of the users that's going to be a power user and like play with the settings and tweak it and yeah. they definitely took that away from me oh. and i'm not not pleased with a lot of the different like settings and stuff um so we'll, we'll see if i st- stay with it i was actually thinking about switching today so switching to spotify or switching to whoever we'll see I, let's I mean, do a public sp- invo- endorsement right now <laughs> so that our sponsors our non-existent sponsors can come in and try to save the day no um yeah there's a lot of really stiff competition obviously for me i personally use spotify i, I mostly because um i like using third party outside of the major ios's or like the major companies so that you know if i do decide to switch phones or I have multiple devices. I'm like on PC. I have a Mac that I'm using for work. I'm using an iPhone. And so like I, I like having a third party so I can kind of go between all the different devices. But um, I, I really want to briefly touch on Spotify because that's the one I'm most familiar with. But Spotify has a really strong recommendation engine. Two of the biggest products that they are well known for is are one, Discover Weekly. Um, which will you know give you new song recommendations that you don't have, but it's based on your existing playlists. And the second thing um, is called Release Radar. So it's like artists that you already follow, but it's like their new music. Um, nice. And along with that, if you are playing any of your playlists at the bottom, there's like a list of recommended songs, like five to 10 recommended songs, and you can just play them and immediately add them to your playlist. Or you can like refresh and it'll give you like five more recommended songs or 10 more recommended songs. I wish that they would flesh that out more. I'm like one of those people that like, like you, like you're probably mentioning. I just like finding new music, and it's really hard. Totally, to it's find so new hard now. Music, yeah, so hard now. So, um, I think it's a really great feature. I, um, but you know, it would never have come to be if people like Pandora didn't try this like music recommendation, music learning, uh, type uh, algorithm early, early on. Um, and in terms of ads, I think like Spotify's ad model is a little different. They don't necessarily target ads. You know, if you pay for a service, you don't really get ads on Spotify. So I don't have ads, but there are yep. still ads on on podcasts themselves. Like the podcast will be sponsored by somebody. So they're kind of like a mixed income revenue. It's not that Spotify gets the ad revenue there. It's that the podcast hosts get the ad revenue. So um, it's like slightly different, but I can't speak for how Spotify targets their ads if they do at all. If it's similar to how Pandora had tried to do it back in you know the early 2000s or 2010s. I think it's interesting to just think about the whole like advertising model. Cause like, you know, you, you can either like, uh, you know, bake it in to the actual content or you can, like we said, we, like we talked about earlier, or it can be more of like the, uh, the content has breaks and then you mm-hmm. fill it and then you customize it to, to your audience. And I think that's where Spotify, uh, I think that's where they're going, where it's like, <laughs> here's podcast and the podcast host will just pause. And then Spotify will tar- like know like whoever is logged into their app and give them a targeted ad yeah. as such. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think um, you know, as a YouTube music slash Google music, I can give my reviews Android music. on Android <laughs> music, music exactly. 
um, I, I can give my rating on, um, you know, my thoughts on just the, the product. I, I, you know, I personally go with YouTube music because it also offers YouTube premium. So I know on anywhere I'm logged in, I don't get YouTube ads. I just hate getting ads. So like I'm willing to pay for it. Um, so in terms of, uh, how I'm going to give this review, it's going to be me from eight years ago. Cause I honestly have not used Pandora, um, in about eight years. So you're just thinking about like the product market fit. I think, um, you know, it was really good for me, you know, at the time, like, you know, like we mentioned before, it was really hard at the time. Uh, this is like college days for us to like, uh, you know, find the, the music that you wanted to. And also just to have that, to not spend time like making a playlist as you're like a busy college student and trying to just go through school and you know spend all this time. Pandora really, you could just pick one song and it would play a bunch of songs that were really on point. So I, I appreciate the groundwork that they were able to, to, to lay down there with that customer experience. Um, I think the overall strategy was, was interesting where they chose to go with the internet model of just having it be just an ad supported, just, just like any kind of radio station that you would have before. I don't think they did a ton of in- innovation there. But overall, if I had to sum it up as a product, I would call this about a 3.6. Yeah, 3.6 out of 5 for me. And this is like back in uh, 2013 timeframe, um, looking at the product. Yeah, I love it. I, You know, I, I'm i going to give it a 3.5. That was a number that I had in my head, even if I'm rating it at, I guess, the heyday of when I used Pandora. Um, I think that what they did really well was they were, what it felt like was it was one of the earlier music recommendation engines. And it did feel like the... We're pretty close to some really good music, and I did discover some new songs here and there. Um, but I think part of the problem of using Pandora at the time was that the music, I guess, library was pretty limited. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you probably only got other large or well-known artists on Pandora, so it's hard for like the indie or the small, you know, musical act with the 500 followers <laughs> to get on something like Pandora and get recognized. So that was part of the problem. Um, you know, it was, uh, ad driven, uh, and I didn't want to pay for, uh, for, you know, premium at the time. Um, so I don't really, I remember being able to skip ads, I think, but that was kind of frustrating. And I do feel like sometimes when I wanted to find a song directly, I couldn't do that on Pandora. Like they would kind of the good and the bad about finding and exploring songs around what you're looking <laughs> for is that you never really hit the target that you want. Like if you know, if you're someone that doesn't need to do an exploring and you know exactly what you want to listen to. I then had to like go directly to something like YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever to like look directly for that song and hope that it's there. And so like I feel like I had to string together like a couple different products to like get some semblance of a music streaming platform that's now like all encompassed, if not better, today on like a Spotify or um, or Google Music totally. or YouTube Music, whatever they're calling it now. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna give it a 3.5. I think like there are some really good pieces there, like really really good pieces in terms of the music recommendation engine and. You know, I obviously don't like ads, but, you know, to drive their own ad revenue, I think, you know, ad targeting was something that needed to be done and for some of these companies to grow and it's better than getting like random ads, I guess. So I I think I'm going to give it a 3.5 and knowing that those features have been definitely improved in other products, other competitors today. Yeah. And that's why I love reviewing products and episodes like this, where it's just products that are so foundational mm-hmm. to just future products. So yeah, really enjoy this episode, Jeff. Um, those are you know our thoughts on Pandora. And we'd love to hear from our audience. So feel free to share with us uh, what you thought. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Prodex Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X Podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.